Thanks for listening to this audio podcast from Redemption Life Church. Listen as Pastor Michael Cox teaches on Recipe for Revival. You want to pretty much know my sermon today? I'll tell you it. This is a real quick way I could tell you my sermon. Um, <clears throat> I can feel redemption on the wind, forgiveness like the tide rolling in, taking up the space where shame has lived, receiving all you died to give. Let the wind blow, let the tide roll, till the earth knows you're a God of love. Let my dry bones sing a new song, all the glory to the God of love. I can see a valley of dry bones rattling, moving bone to bone. You breathe the breath of life into our lungs, marching on our knees, we march to love. Revival's in the air, Catch it if you can. He's moving on the wind. The dawn is breaking. Lift your eyes to see. He's better than you dreamed. Everything you lost. Love's returning. John chapter 8. We'll start at verse 2. I'm like so quickly trying to look at what I can take off. John chapter 8. Start at verse 2. Then at dawn, Jesus appeared in the temple courts again, and soon all the people gathered around to listen to his words. So he sat down and taught them. Then in the middle of his teaching, say, how rude. The religious scholars and the Pharisees broke through the crowd and made and brought a woman who had been caught in the act of committing adultery and made her stand in the middle of of everyone. What an amazing picture of religion. <laughs> the way, the truth, and the life is trying to speak, trying to display the kingdom, trying to communicate the heart of his father, but we've got to interrupt. We got to interrupt a little bit and we've got to make sure everyone knows what sin is real quick because if they don't know what sin is, they won't know to avoid it. And if we would let the way, the truth, and the life be demonstrated, they would be so infatuated with him. They would be following him. They would not even come close to the sin that we're so worried about them knowing about. So they had to interrupt. That's cute, Jesus. I mean, that's nice and all, but let's talk about the important stuff. We caught somebody in sin. We've been coming here every Sunday waiting to expose somebody. We got somebody finally. Then they said to Jesus, teacher, we caught this woman in the very act of adultery. Doesn't Moses' law command us to stone to death a woman like this? Jesus, be quiet for a minute. We got some stoning we got to do today. Ha <laughs> ha. Yes. Got some stoning we got to do. Doesn't Moses' law command us that we have to stone to death a woman like this? Tell us what do you say we should do with her? They were only testing Jesus because they hoped to trap him with his own words and accuse him of breaking Moses, the law of Moses. Let me just stop there for just a minute. 
It should not be that a preacher, pastor, communicator of the gospel should be more afraid to preach about the love of God than the judgment of God. It's more comfortable in the church today to preach about the judgment of God than it is the love of God. We are pastors and leaders a lot of times in a lot of places, if we're not careful, we become pastors and leaders of hate groups. We're so worried about the world calling us hate groups, I'm so worried about us being a hate group. And so we love to hear judgment and condemnation. I'm getting ahead of myself a little bit, but I need to get ahead of myself because I only got 27 minutes. I need to stay ahead of myself today. (laughs) Don't amen that. (laughs) But seriously, if I come in here today and I preach a sermon about all those people out there, not here because you guys are amazing, But in a lot of churches, if I come in and I preach about the sin of those people out there that sin differently than us, because our sin is not so egregious, ours is more covered and more hidden, but we can all come together and we can talk about their sin and we get all excited about talking about their sin. Because that means as long as we're talking about their sin, you're not talking about my sin. <laughs> so let's talk about it. What the, Jesus has been busting the Pharisees' chops. Let's, talk, let's find somebody who's doing something worse than us. <laughs> Take him in there so he don't talk about us for a little while. They wanted to catch him. But as I was thinking today and preparing today, I almost precluded the sermon today by saying... If you want to be offended with me, listen close today. Because a sermon like this today, what I want to communicate today, makes me a bigger target in the church world as being a heretic, as being a seeker-sensitive people pleaser that doesn't tell the truth about sin and just talks about love and grace and makes a slippery slope into hell for everybody. That's what would be perceived about my sermon today. So I just gave you the words to say. If you want to be offended, just meditate on that. You can think that way about it. They wanted to trap Jesus and get him to say something. Here goes. I see Christian leaders be interviewed by non-believers who want to trap them into making definitive statements about sin. You know, y'all love to hate Joel Osteen. People do. I saw him on Larry King get asked a very definitive question about sin. Well, what do you think about this? Are you saying this? Are you saying this? Are you... Aren't these people worthy of being stoned to death by the law according to Moses? 
Answer that question right now on live TV so we can trap you in making a statement. And I've seen people scramble to answer those questions. In the last couple of years, one of my favorite artists, Lauren Daigle, probably one of the only Christian artists I've went and saw in concert because I took my two daughters, two of my daughters to go see it. Powerful, powerful concert, powerful demonstration of the love of God, but she got um, put on the spot and asked a question, a very definitive question about people's sins and what she thinks about those sins and, you know, how great are those sins. Got criticized for going on a talk show of someone who is openly lesbian. Why would you go on that talk show? Why would you go sit on a well by a woman who's been married five times? Are you kidding me? Well, I'm here talking to you today on a Christian talk show, and you're trying to trap me into something and hang me out to dry. I think I was safer on the lesbian show. Sad that sometimes if we talk about the love of God, we're safer in the world than we are in church. They try to trap them. Jesus, what did Jesus do? No, what did he do? They were only testing Jesus because they hoped they would trap him in his own words, but Jesus didn't even answer them. I've decided if anybody ever gets me in a position like that, I'm not going to try to scramble and say something that can be used against me in the court of church. (laughs) I'm just going to say, that's a good question. This isn't the platform that I would like to answer that question. But no, you know what? I've heard them try that even. I heard a guy with Hillsong be asked that question definitively, and he said, I would not want to answer a question about people's sins without first having a conversation with that person, which was misconstrued. Oh, a conversation determines what sin is sin or not? No. It tells me if I have a voice in that person's life or not to speak to whether what they're doing is sin or not. So I would want to have a conversation with somebody before I post a meme bashing their sin. I don't want my sin hung out like that. But Jesus didn't answer them. He simply wrote on the dust with his finger. I would love this. I'm asking God to help me. If I'm ever in this situation, Lord, if you've ever whispered something in the prophetic to me. If you've ever given me a word of knowledge, in that moment, would you please give me one? So that when someone asks me about a particular sin and says, are these people going to hell? And I want to I want to go to an interview with my post-it notes and my pen. And I want to write on there, the last most egregious sin that that person that's asking me that question has committed. Before I even answer, I was oh, give me just a minute. Snickers break. I just want to 
Put that note over there. Let them see it. Hey, let's talk about something else. Let's go, let's go to another area here and uh, talk about stuff. I'll say, I'm gonna, I'll answer that question as soon as we talk about this one. I want to talk about this one in case anybody's struggling with this one that you're struggling with. Let's let everybody decide if it's sin or not. Jesus didn't answer him. He just began to write in the dust. What do they do? What do we do? Pharisaical attitudes that we all have sometimes. Angry, they kept insisting that he answer their question. So Jesus stood up and looked at them and said, let's have the man. You win. You win. You're right. You're right. That's a law. So here's what we're going to do. Let's have the man who's never had a sinful desire throw the first stone at her. And then he bent over again and wrote some more words in the dust. That's in my top 10 questions. I'm going to ask him one day. (laughs) What in the world did you write in the dust? I want to have one of those near-death experiences, ask that question, and get to come back and tell everybody. (laughs) Come on. If if anybody gets to write a book about dying and come back, I want to write a book. I want to ask that question and come back. People are like, what would you see in heaven? Don't worry about it. I got the answer. (laughs) I got the answer to what he wrote. It'll change the world. I'm sure it will change the world if I could get that answer. Verse 9, upon hearing that, her accusers slowly left the crowd. Well, I would, but uh, look at the time. I've got, it's not because I sin. I just have to go. I got a lunch appointment. Upon hearing that, her accusers slowly left the crowd one at a time, beginning with the oldest to the youngest, with a convicted conscience. Until finally Jesus was left alone with the woman, still standing there in front of him. So he stood back up and said to her, Dear woman, where are your accusers? Is there no one here to condemn you? Verse 11, I like this. Sometimes the little parts of Scripture we don't even look at, like the first two words of verse 11, looking around, means that she literally was having to look to answer his question, which means... That just encompasses that moment even more to me. It's something she didn't quite know. And maybe she had her eyes closed, ready for the stones, right? And so when Jesus says, where are your accusers? She literally looks up. Oh, my Lord. (laughs) They're gone. I don't have any. Jesus said, I certainly don't condemn you either. Go from now on, be free from a life of sin. I believe this is the recipe. Wait, you, you said that song earlier and you said that was your sermon. This doesn't sound anything like that song. It does sound like that song because God is a God of love. And revival is in the air. Let the wind blow, let the tide roll until the earth knows you're a God of love. The recipe for revival is the love of God demonstrated abroad. That's the recipe for revival. Look at Matthew 22, 34. 
When the Pharisees heard that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered themselves together. One of them, a lawyer, asked him a question, testing him. Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and foremost commandment. Verse 39, they only ask for what's the greatest, right? Don't you love it? What's the greatest commandment? We'll go find somebody and stone them for not doing it. Right? So he says, love the Lord your God. And then he says, the second is like it. They're like, oh, no, no, we don't want to hear anymore. <laughs> We've got 619 and we made them fit our lives. We found things that other people do that we don't do and it's really cool. We made the yoke heavy for them and light for us. Don't talk anymore. Every time you talk, <laughs> our whole system gets messed up. He says, but the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend the whole law and the prophets. Look at Matthew 7, 3 and 5. Why do you look at the speck that is in your brother's eye but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye and behold, the log is in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. So, what's the greatest commandment? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength. What is the second? Love your neighbor. The second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. So, as I'm in, on my way into interrupting the way, the truth, and the life in his little sermon, and I'm coming in, dragging a woman I want to stone to death because she committed sin. But wait. Was it one of the top two? So while I violate one of the top two, wanting to stone someone who's not violated one of the top two, that means I have a bigger problem in my eye than she has in her eye. Right? Am I, is, this my, is this real? Like if, if those are the two greatest commandments, and so I'm not, love your neighbor as yourself. If you were stoning yourself, when he was writing in the sand, it wouldn't be so hurtful to you because you probably would have took care of some of that on your own without him having to write it in the sand. But you were too busy looking for people to sin different than you to bring in instead of worrying about your own sin. So they're in the way, on the way to expose a sin that is a less sin than their sin. The act of them trying to expose her sin made them in violation of a greater sin than her sin. Are you whipped? Seriously. I mean, you all probably already knew this, but this just to me was just like, what? Just this week, I'm like, man, we're literally committing greater sins than people who we're judging and condemning. Those things that you hate people because they do it, those things aren't on the top two list. Your hating them is on the top two list. So if we want revival, we need to be able to demonstrate the kingdom. 
Here's the problem. Christians who are hungry for the things of the world but are abstaining because of the law, are you with me? Have the desires for the things of the world but they're just abstaining, repressing, resisting, living a life of avoidance of sin. You know what they are? They're hangry. They're hangry. You ever been hangry? You don't even like that food, but you're mad at them for eating it because you're hangry. Anybody ever fasted? You're trying to be spiritual, but yet you're hangry? That's a picture of what it's like. When you're fasting, you, I don't want to get on fasting today, but if you're hangry when you're fasting, you miss the point of fasting. If you're hangry when you're following Christ, you've missed the point of following Christ. If you're just not eating and you're not feeling, then quit fasting. You're hunger striking. Fasting is not hunger striking. Fasting is substituting. Fasting is taking your focus off of the feelings of the flesh through food and placing it, that demand on the kingdom of heaven and you're, and you're partaking and you're dining of him and you're being filled with that and you're more full than you were when you were eating steak and baked potato. After fasting 40 days in Matthew chapter 4, Jesus was tempted to turn bread, rocks into bread, and he said, man shall not live by bread alone. Bread will not satisfy, but true life is found in every word which constantly goes forth from God's mouth. Jesus said, man, that's not how we get full. Man, if anybody could have been hangry, Jesus should have been hangry. But you know what Jesus says later in Scripture? He says, the God of this world has nothing in me. He don't have a hook in me. He don't have a lure in me. Jahan preached about it a few weeks ago, about the bait and the appetizing and trying to get a hook in us. The adversary of my soul has nothing in me because I don't feed on what he offers. Once he gets you taste, once he gets your appetite built for the things that he has, he does the old bait and switch. Puts a hook in it. He's been chumming the water with the things that you like. And before you know it, you get a big hook in your mouth and you're caught. And so when we're hungry, when we have not give up the hunger for the world, then we become hangry and we love at that point to find fault in everybody else. In John 4, when Jesus was sitting on that well beside that woman who had had five husbands and the man she was with then wasn't her own, his disciples went to get some food. And when they came back to him, he said, you need to eat. Teacher, you must eat something. Verse 31, but Jesus told them, don't worry about me. I have eaten a meal you don't know about. 
Puzzled by this, the disciples begin to discuss among themselves, did someone already bring him food? Where did he get this meal? Then Jesus spoke up and said, my food is to be doing the will of him who sent me and bring it to completion. If we worry about me and worry about his will and worry about pursuing the things of God for our lives and for ourselves, then we wouldn't be so hangry. We'd be finding fulfillment in life. We'd be finding fulfillment in purpose. Twelve twenty-eight. I'm about to skip everything and wrap it up. Take a note, Ephesians two one through ten. Go check that out. Hebrews eleven six. Without faith, it's impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. So we have to believe that he is, and we have to believe that he's a rewarder. We have been so we have been so anti prosperity. We've been so anti abundance. We've been so anti everything. And if you're anti-abundance and you're anti-prosperity and you're anti-blessing in the kingdom, all you have left is anti. Following Christ has been avoiding the world, become avoiding the world. Avoiding the world is not a substitute for following Christ. Now, if you follow Christ, you'll avoid the world. But you can avoid the world and not follow Christ. You can wear a badge and say, I haven't sinned in four days. That don't mean you've been pursuing Christ for four days. That means you've been repressing and it's building up. You've been repressing and not replacing thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I have come to give you everything in abundance, more than you expect, life in its fullness until you overflow. It's impossible to please him unless we believe he's a rewarder. Man, this has all of the components Love people even when they sin. Don't condemn them. Pursue God because you believe he'll reward you and give you prosperity. Dude, I'm the next Joe Osteen. Don't tell people they're sinners on TV. Okay. I got the starter kit going today. I like his smile. I love his heart. Man, I stumbled on something during worship today. We can't go there, but my goodness, just for fun, just for fun when you go home, come on. 
now. Read Luke chapter 9. Powerful chapter. I mean, this is the transfiguration. They see Jesus transfigured. It's powerful. In the same chapter, a man comes to Jesus and says, can you please heal my son? I begged your disciples to heal him and they couldn't because they didn't have anything. They didn't have anything. They were following Jesus, but they didn't have anything. Jesus responded, you're an unbelieving people with no faith. Your lives are twisted with lies. You've turned away from doing what is right. How much longer should I remain here offering you hope? (laughs) Then he looked at the man and said, bring your son to me. So hilarious. That's what he says to the man. Bring your son to me. Two two verses later, he says, here is your son. (laughs) Bring your son to me. Here's your son. Have a nice day. Later in the same chapter, they're arguing about who's going to be the greatest. Later in the chapter, they're talking about some people have been casting out demons using your name, and we tried to stop them because they don't follow you like we do. Jesus responded, you shouldn't have hindered him. (laughs) You shouldn't have hindered him. Do we understand how hindered, wounded, and hurt we make men and women of God who are true men and women of God? Because we've decided they don't do it the way we do it, so they must be wrong. He says, you shouldn't have hindered him. Jesus rebuked them sharply saying, don't you realize what comes from your hearts when you say that? For the Son of Man did not come to destroy life, but to bring life to the earth. Let the wind blow. Let the tide roll to the world knows he's a God of love. Romans 2, 4 says, the kindness of God draws men to repentance. The Aramaic of kindness is the sweetness. The sweetness of God draws men to repentance. Matthew 4, 17, from that time Jesus began to preach saying, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The kingdom of heaven is close enough for you to grab. So repent. The sweetness and the kindness of heaven is on display right now. Look into my eyes. Makes me think of the hypnotism thing. We just get hypnotized by his eyes. He says, look into my eyes. The sweetness is at hand. 
you're disgusting, awful, nasty, and you stink. Repent. No, look into my eyes. You see the sweetness? You see the kindness? You see the goodness? Go and sin no more. Live in that. What do you tell the one with adultery? Well, you at least got to get a truthful word in. I mean, even if you write in the sand and you do all that cool stuff and you love them, you still got to tell them the truth. He told her, right? He told her. Y'all remember he told her how sinful she was? Did he? No. Because she already changed because of his kindness, his sweetness, the sweetness. The kingdom of heaven, the sweetness is at hand. Repent. If we're displaying the sweetness of heaven, it's going to cause men to repent. We're so close. Saying, you know, boy, if we could get everybody out there right and stop doing the perverted, nasty, disgusting sin, we'd have revival. Is that what the Bible says? If those people who aren't my people and have never been called and given their heart to me would quit sinning, I'll send revival. If my people called by my name will humble them, humble themselves and pray and seek my face, I'll hear from heaven and I'll heal their land. I'll send revival. Let the wind blow. Let the tide roll till the whole world knows he's a God of love. We will have to love the world into revival. We can't lull the world into revival. Love will bring repentance. The law will bring rebellion. What is the end game? Here's where I want to close today. Man, I've heard it. I've heard it. I can just imagine putting my name in some of the rants that I've heard. I am that guy. I'm that guy today. I've heard this week about compliant preachers. And you know why we're having church here and we're going to keep having church here? Not out of defiance. Everybody hear that? Not out of defiance. I'm not anti-anything. I'm not repressing. I'm not anti. A life of following Christ is not a life of not stuff. It's not anti-government. It's not anti-compliance. It's not any of that stuff. The reason we're having church is because we're in compliance with the kingdom. We feel a mandate to do it. That's why. Not in defiance, in compliance. I'm actually in compliance with the laws of the land as well. And if it comes to the place where we have to make that decision, we'll have to make that decision at that time. But I'm in compliance with the kingdom, not in defiance of the world. What's the end game? If every law, I'm closing, stay with me. If every law, if we win, 
if the church wins. If we're able to get the law of Moses to become the law of the land and we win. Every law gets changed into the laws that we feel would come into alignment with kingdom purpose. I'm not saying we don't need to advocate law change. I'm not saying that at all. I'm not saying we don't need to pray for laws to change. But if we get all the, I'm talking about every one of them, every law you can think of. Are you with me? I'm talking about like the law look like the Ten Commandments. That's it. I mean, United States, the world. We had one world government, and it was the kingdom of God, and, and it was it. We dominated. It was all there. Would that cause men to be holy? So we can never legislate holiness. We can never law people into repentance. Is that saying we just give up, it's futile, we don't care about the law? I'm not saying that at all. But I'm saying whatever our efforts are to bring the law into alignment with kingdom purpose, if on our way to do that, on our way into the temple, to let's talk about Moses' law, let's make the law what it's supposed to be, on our way into the temple, we violate one of the top two commands. The only two Jesus mentioned that on our way to make following Christ a law, we'll violate his law. And we'll cause people to go into rebellion. So if we want revival, we can't law people into revival. We have to love people into revival. Adam and Eve knew about the tree, right? They had the law. The law of the land was the same as the law of heaven because they were only the people. They knew the law. Did it keep them pure? Did it keep them holy? You know what kept them holy? You know what caused them to repent? God came looking for them. He said, where are you at? In all of our efforts to whatever adjustments we want to try to make to law, I've heard people talking about political and all this stuff and if I say I'm not a, you know, I took off my politician coat last week. I saw, I saw, every time I do something like that, I see a video that week about somebody condemning somebody from being absent out of politics or whatever. But if any effort I make on my way to make the law righteous, I've, I violate the law of God, the law of love. How in the world am I bringing increase to the kingdom of God? How am I ushering in revival? So the greatest commandment is to love. Love God. The second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. First commandment is not be an activist and make sure all the laws of the land line up with my law. That's the most important thing. It's to love people. It's to love people. We're going to get where we want to get, where our goal is, and we're going to have caused more people to turn away from God. By the time we get the laws the way we want them, 
How devastating would it be if we had so many? That's what we're doing right now. We need to be sure pursuing law, but pursuing love. By the time we get a law to where we want it, we should have the activists on the other side of the fence sitting with us at our victory party, realizing that they were wrong and repenting because they've seen the kingdom of heaven at hand in us. The sweetness of God has been demonstrated on, in us, through us, that's caused them to repent and turn their heart. Then we not only have a law, but we've won our brother through love because the law in itself will not bring repentance or holiness. But the love of God will wreck a heart. <laughs> Amen. Stand up with me. We're going to head out. <clears throat> Lord, we want revival. And it's so easy. It's so easy to point to other people and other circumstances and other situations as the hinderers of revival. But God, would you illuminate our own lives to us today that we would walk in love, that we would walk in mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Let us not desire to be the greatest. Let us not walk around powerlessness, powerless, and let us not want to burn cities with judgment. But let us love mercy, do justly, and walk humbly before our God. Let us worry about the logs in our eyes and but focusing on the speck in our neighbor's eyes. Let us make the main thing the main thing, loving you with all our heart, with all our mind, with all our strength, and let us make the second most important thing the second most important thing, loving people as ourselves. Every other agenda, every other uh, goal, every other mission, every other thing must come after that, number one, love you. Number two, love people as ourselves. If we don't want to be condemned by people who've never met us, then let's don't throw out condemnation to people that we've never met. If we don't want to be criticized and a yoke put on us by blanket statements of things that we struggle with, then let's not do it to others. Let's love people as ourselves. And let's demonstrate the sweetness of the kingdom so we can see hearts melt like wax in the presence of the Lord. And repentance come. And fullness come. And abundance come. And overflowing come. 
because you're a God that rewards those who diligently seek him. We're not going through life avoiding Big Macs. We're going through life eating filet mignon. We're ruined for junk. We're ruined for fake. We're ruined for artificial. We're ruined for cheap imitation. We're ruined for things that may taste good for a moment, but don't sustain life in the end. We are ruined for the better. We're ruined for the best. We're ruined for the kingdom. Let our taste for every other thing fall away. Let us not live against the world and against things, but let us live positioned and turned and focused on you and your kingdom and all that it makes available to us to walk in. In Jesus' name, let us demonstrate that to others so that they would get that hunger to walk in what we walk in. Let us be able to say like Paul, follow me as I follow him. Live in fullness as I live in fullness. Live in hope as I live in hope. Don't walk around in fear just like I don't walk around in fear. See the sweetness of the kingdom in my life? This can be yours. And we'll see revival. We'll see hearts of men and women turn to God. In Jesus' name. You say so be it with me today. Thanks for listening to this audio podcast from Redemption Life Church. Be sure to stay connected with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Redemption Life.